Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. I'm Sam. I am. Welcome to the Lifeboat Livestream. Well, I've got a number of topics. I kind of want to look across the landscape in tonight's show. We're going to talk crypto and XRP and the global financial system. We'll wrap the show with that. I had a nice two-hour lunch with Blockchain Backer, and we uh, sort of strategized all kinds of things uh, through that. And I want to share some of what we talked about. But I think there's also something more important going on, and that is um, what's happening with COVID and these lockdowns and so forth. I see a lot of people on social media celebrating because, well, uh, you know, these things are getting struck down by the courts and this and that, and therefore we're winning. But in reality, I don't think we're really winning. In fact, this has been a resounding success for the state, for governments around the world. They've injected themselves into your lives in new and novel ways. They've uh, looted the, the treasury, the wealth of, you know, the wealth that's left in the dollar for trillions of dollars and handed it out to their friends and their buddies. They've usurped all kinds of new powers for themselves. And they're not giving up that ability. They're not giving up any of those new measures that they put in place for the, you know, emergency. And in fact, they're actually instead working to enshrine them, right? This is exactly what uh, Jen Psaki here is. Well, we we are um, entirely able to and legally able to be a part of the discussion, but... Oh, so we're talking in legal terms, okay. Uh, right now, it's we, we, of course, are deferring to the CDC on what they believe is needed at this moment. They've already, have, they obviously put in place this two-week extension because they felt they needed that to take a look at the data, given that we've seen a rise in cases. So we certainly anticipate to hear more from them soon on their ask for uh, for being able to have that time, which we think is entirely warranted. And mm. the Department of Justice, as you noted, has indicated uh, that they would appeal, uh, not just because they think it's entirely reasonable, no, no. Uh, of course, to have Here's this additional the real time to look at it, but because they think uh, that the current, uh, for current and future public health crises, uh, we want to preserve that, that uh, authority for the CDC to have in the future. Yeah. For them to write recommendations and have them be enforced by the federal government. Bypassing Congress, your whole process there, and they are literally taking them to court because this judge in, uh, oh, wherever it was, it was a Trump-appointed judge, real pretty lady, she shot it down and did it in a way that makes it so that the CDC does not have the power to implement these kinds of mandates, and they are taking it back to court to ensure that they do. That's what this whole thing is about. That's what's happening right now. They are trying to cement in their powers to do this again down the road and further ratchet up and further loot the Treasury for whatever's left in it. I don't think it's going to be very much. But that's the play here. And so many people that are aware of what's going on are completely oblivious to this. They cannot be trusted with this power to control our lives in these ways ever again. They've shown that. They have literally taken 
people and march them to their deaths. And it's happening all around us. We're going to look at that tonight. And in fact, that's where I want to start is really with some of the psychology here. This is Jerome Adams. Now, I think he's pretty qualified to speak here on this. He's a father, a physician, Purdue uh, health equity director, so healthcare executive, former uh, Indiana health commissioner, and the 20th U.S., what I call stooge in general, surgeon general. And he's tweeting here today, flying today, a Delta pilot walked by me in the airport and said, take off your mask, man, breathe free. Why is it that those so strongly felt others were imposing their beliefs on them? You know, the, the measures for health, wellness, and compassion, as he sees it, feel so free to impose their beliefs on others. Well, <laughs> Jerome, um, I don't think someone walking by telling you, you know, take your mask off if you want, breathe free, is imposing their beliefs on you. But now if the, this pilot had gone to his pilot's union and said, uh, you know what, I saw this guy walking around with a mask, we need to put a stop to this, and the pilot's union hired their uh, you know, expert scientists who looked at the science and got to interpret it the way they wanted, and then they created guidelines against wearing masks, and then they got the airport police to enforce those and go through the airports hunting for people like you and forcing them to remove their mask while writing them a piece of paper that's a $1,000 fine? Would that be imposing their beliefs on you, Jerome? Or would that be, as you put it here, feel like others were imposing their beliefs? Because I want you to make that distinction there. Let me read this again, what he said here. Why is it that those who so strongly felt, not that had their belief, others' beliefs imposed on them, felt others were imposing their beliefs on them, feel so free to impose their beliefs on others? Do you see the delusion that he's operating under here? And Jerome, if you, if you don't want to take your mask off, uh, I guess they will forcefully remove it off of you. And if you resist that, they will beat you, pepper spray you, give you the electroshock torture device, and drag you off to a cage. Or say you do take it off, and then you get on the plane, and you just kind of you know freak out because it's enclosed environment with super high-grade HEPA filters running, cleaning the air. Um, well, then the stewardess would come down and tell you to take the mask off. And if you don't, the police would come and remove you from the airplane. And then they would ban you from flying on that airplane ever again. Would that be others imposing their beliefs on you? Or would that just be you feeling like others are imposing their beliefs? Which is it, Jerome? And see, why is he still wearing this? Why is he still wearing this mask and tweeting out about this? goes back to cognitive dissonance and uh, the uh, mass formation. He wants to be right about what he's told people. Do you, how many people do you think he's convinced to get vaccinated? Do you think he wants to take an honest look at the reality around us that we're going to look at tonight? I guarantee you he doesn't. So he puts the mask on, 
and holds on to that belief despite the conflicts reality places directly in the path of that belief system and he marches on. And he marches on. So does this lady right here. She runs these uh, mass vax, vax, what is it? Vaxapalooza things right here, I believe. Dr. Neil Kaplan Mirth isn't waiting. She's uh, a family doctor that began sticking boosters in arms on Sunday as part of her sixth Jabapalooza event, administering hundreds of shots in a single day, specifically aimed at younger essential workers, right? And here she is holding this big basket uh, full of hundreds and hundreds of empty vials of the COVID vaccine. Do you know how many victims she's created? Do you know how many people are suffering heart attacks from the shots that she administered to them? Do you know how many people buried their loved ones after they got one of those shots? Aren't able to work anymore? Have six and seven figure medical bills? From one of those shots. That's why she's wearing a mask, folks. That's why he's wearing a mask. They can't acknowledge what they've done. They can't live. I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of these people start committing suicide once they figure out what they've taken part in and how they were used. It's sad. And I think this really sums it up right here. It's a little gif, a woman in a mask. And written on the mask, it says, I'm just not ready to accept that anything I believed, that everything I believed was a lie. So instead, they continue pushing the lie. But meanwhile, reality continues intruding. Tonight we can show you frightening images inside Queensland's ramping crisis. Ambulance after ambulance, double parked outside one of Brisbane's busiest hospitals. Hundreds of patients are being left on stretches every night, waiting hours before receiving treatment. 6.30 last night, ambulance gridlock at the Princess Alexandra Hospital. These images paint a fresh picture of a health system in distress, leaked by a frontline emergency worker. Queensland has the highest ambulance ramping in the nation. And now it's holding police hostage. Inside sources telling Nine News officers are being forced to wait in their vehicles for long periods of time with mental health patients requiring critical care. They didn't sign up to be de facto paramedics. They signed up to keep law and order in this state. Acting Premier Stephen Miles concedes the government needs to do more, but says hospitals are dealing with a perfect storm. Hundreds of health staff for low due to the pandemic, combined with a sharp surge of presentations at emergency wards. Gee, maybe I shouldn't have fired all those people. Wonder why all these people are coming in presenting at the emergency wards all of a sudden. What could it possibly be? Most of our major hospitals still have entire wards dedicated uh, to COVID oh. patients, so that's still having an impact on the supply of beds. Of course. We're still in COVID mode, and that's why they're not able to see all these other people. 
Disturbing new data from Queensland Health shows the extent of the problem here at Ipswich Hospital with up to 56% of patients forced to wait on stretches or in corridors for more than 30 minutes before receiving treatment. If you make a call... No, we read the story last week. That may have been in the UK, though. They're spending hours, not hours, but days in the hallway waiting for a room because they're so overloaded. In Ipswich, there is a greater than one in two chance that an AMBO will not turn up and get you off that stretcher in time. Uh, the average wait time to transfer from an ambulance into an emergency department was 33 minutes. Uh, that compares to our target of 30 minutes. While the state government calls for more health funding from the Commonwealth, the opposition's... So how is it that you have a whistleblower saying it's hours waiting in the parking lot? versus the officials saying it's, it's 33 minutes. Something's not adding up here, folks. Somebody's lying. Says it's blame shifting, raising questions over Queensland's $190 million WellCamp quarantine facility. $200 million would have employed over 2,000 police recruits, graduate nurses, medical interns, these are real jobs that would help alleviate the health crisis that we've got in Queensland. Health bosses are tonight putting the surge in ramping down to one main factor, and that is a very... Yeah, okay. Of course, here's what's happening with total coronavirus deaths in Australia. You can see the chart has just really ramped up, and in fact... Uh, uh, Critical Mick here is asking, can the Australian government explain why we've recorded more deaths between January and April this year at 95% vax rate than in the last two years combined? Why is that? And folks, these are just the coronavirus deaths. Okay? The people in the hospital for the heart attacks, they're not even included in here. So this is not even painting a, a complete picture of the damage that these vaccines are doing. Of course, you've got Western Australia Premier uh, Mark McGowan. His child's been put in the hospital in serious condition with COVID-19. Of course, would have been so much worse if he wasn't vaccinated, right? The child is fully vaccinated, however, was in serious condition as a result of the infection. We know exactly what's going on. Exactly. The vaccine destroyed his immune system, turned off, you know, important sensing capabilities of the immune system to detect viruses, to fight cancers, to maintain the integrity of DNA. It shuts all of that off while pumping out this toxic neurotoxin that goes in and causes fibrin to form in the body. That's the white shit that's coming out of uh, people's veins of the vaccinated. It's just building up and filling up all their veins and then they lose, you know, the tissue starts dying or they go into cardiac arrest. The child remains in the hospital and is receiving ongoing treatment the McGowan family asked for privacy regarding this situation at this difficult time. He's happy to come and inject himself into your life, 
tell you when you're allowed to go out, how far you're allowed to go from your home, tell you you'll experiment, you'll take part in this medical experimentation with deadly consequences, or we'll fire your ass and you won't have a way to work, you won't be able to go out to restaurants, you won't be a participant in society, but now that it's come home to roost, you need to respect our, our privacy. That's who these people are. And I feel sorry for him. He's probably going to lose most of his family, just like Vivek, the current Surgeon General, who's got, I think, five kids, vaccinated all of them. He's bought this hook, line, and sinker. And at some point, there's, there's going to be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And they won't be able to deny it. And they're going to have to come face to face with who they are and what they've done. And that's starting now. He's made his bed. Now he gets to lie in it, unfortunately. Okay, we'll come back to that. Let me go back over here. Health bosses are tonight putting the surge in ramping down to one main factor, and that is a very high number of trauma and critical care patients turning out to emergency departments like here at the PA hospital, dispelling any claims of serious staff shortages across our health system. In a statement, a spokesperson from Metro Health telling Nine News, we are working to manage the demand and facilitating more. It's just a huge increase in demand. We don't know what's causing it. I'm sure they're coming up with, oh, um... The old throwaway is, well, because of all the missed appointments. (laughs) Of course, the data shows that the bumps in people coming into the hospital coincide with the rollout of the vaccines for each specific age group. So that's a correlation that you don't just dismiss and brush aside. The vaccines are the cause here, and they have long-term, very negative health impacts, and that process is becoming undeniable. And in the DMAD data, 1,100% increase. It's going, the insurance companies think it will go to at least 5,000% by the end of the year. So we are now in a process, I think we're probably four and a half X times worse. It's going to get four point four and a half times worse from here by the end of the year. I mean, meaning, they will be for, let's just call it five, five times, okay? <laughs> for every one heart attack they're dealing with, they will have five by the end of the year that they're dealing with. That's how bad this is going to get. Okay. Oh. And right here. This is going uh, over to the United Kingdom. You can see this is from NHS. What they have are um, people who have been, this is within the, the Blackpool Teaching Hospitals. So I don't know exactly how many hospitals we're talking about, but they sent kind of like an open records request to this one specific group of hospitals, of uh, teaching hospitals, asking them 
this one question right here. Can you please provide the total number of patients that have been referred to the heart failure diagnostic clinic within your trust, meaning group of hospitals, uh, for the following years, 2017 through 20 through the current date? Okay. So what they did, they went back to 2018 and there were 213 in 2018. The following year in 2019, there were 172. During the big pandemic, it dropped to 63. And then last year, 2021, it was 603. That's practically a thousand percent increase in referrals to the heart clinic. Now, these are the people that survived. The ones that died, they didn't get a referral, okay? <laughs> so this is not even complete here, but it's it's giving us insight into what's happening from a different source that they probably hadn't thought to protect, right? And it show, it's we're seeing the same picture playing out everywhere. Heart attacks, cardiac issues off the charts everywhere we look. And even if, if you go with their, you know, standard throwaway, well, those are heart attacks from missed appointments and so forth. Okay. Well, if you look at the numbers, 213, 172, and then 63 during the pandemic where all those appointments were missed and strangely people just didn't have heart attacks, it's about 100, 150 off. Okay. So if you take, say the 200, let's call it 200 that they would have in 2021, and you add the missed 150, now we're at 350. Well, yeah, that doesn't explain 603 referrals, does it? No. And for this, uh, this current month, for the current year, 2022, the first two months is 104, which means the data shows we're on track to do another 600 referrals or more even. The current run rate is the total for last year. Could get worse. So that's how this thing is unfolding. My name is Bob Snow. I'm a captain. captain This is the American Airlines pilot who had the heart attack in Dallas, landed one of the big international jets, and then while sitting at the gate, seven minutes after, he stroked out and coded, and they brought him back. He's recovering it probably uh, Baylor in Dallas. And I want you to listen to what he's got to say. Number of years, my total service with the company is over 31 years. On November 7th, I was mandated to receive a vaccine. Now, he's an American Airlines pilot. I literally, I was told if I did not receive the vaccination, I would be fired. This was from our director of flight. So, under duress, I received the vaccine. Uh, now, just a few days ago, after landing in Dallas, six minutes after we landed, I passed out. Uh, I coded. I required three shocks. I need to be intubated. I'm now in the ICU in Dallas. This is what the vaccine has done. For- and he's showing he's got EKG uh, monitors all over him. For me. I will probably never fly again uh, based upon the criteria that the FAA establishes for pilots. I was hoping to teach my daughter to fly. She wants to be a pilot. That will probably never happen. All courtesy of the vaccine. 
I was looking for it here briefly. I don't think I have it loaded up, but if you remember uh, citizen journalist Richard, he interviewed the guy that was a crop duster and he went up, he got tunnel vision, doesn't know how he even landed the plane. He's suffering serious adverse events after getting the vaccine. He's done too, ended his career as well. And most of these pilots have gone out and gotten this vaccine. What do you think is going to happen to the airline industries when, you know, 40, 60% of their pilots are no longer capable of flying? You can't just go and hire new pilots. Everybody's going to need them. There's not going to be nearly enough to fill demand. What happens when the ship captains running these big cargo ships start to stroke out like this and they can't do their job either? You can't just go hire giant cargo ship captains with 20 years of experience. They have to spend the time working, you know, in different jobs and so forth, gaining that experience. So what happens to global trade when the airlines have, you know, some fraction of their current capacity. Of course, they're going to have to fold and consolidate. We'll have fewer choices, fewer flights. It'll be astronomically more expensive to travel by air. And you can go around and do that to practically every industry out there because that's the world that we're heading into depending on how bad this gets. And we've told you, 5X from here. This is unacceptable, and I am one of the victims. You can see that this is the actual result of the vaccine for some of us. Mandatory, no questions asked, get the shot, or you're fired. This is not the American way. No, it's not. Okay, I think I want to go... To hear, yeah. Hillary Clinton, or she tweeted here, for too long, tech platforms have amplified disinformation and extremism with no accountability. The EU is poised to do something about that. I urge our transatlantic allies to push the Digital Services Act across the finish line and bolster global democracy before it's too late. Roll out that censorship platform so we can enforce acceptable thought on these people before we lose control completely. That's what that treat, treat, tweet translates to folks. Of course, you know, what's happening in reality here. Also, these are, I've got, this is on Gab, my little group that I post some of these notable injuries to. This was yesterday. Sad news. Family member double jabbed has brain tumor operating Tuesday. From what I'm reading, this is becoming very common. Of course, the first reply here, 57-year-old uncle with lung cancer after the vax, lymph nodes, spots on the brain. Friend's mom, 76, stage 3 cancer, tumor in groin, lymph nodes, another prostate cancer. 72 uh, year old friend dead three days after the vaccine, one three weeks after the booster, and 52 year old had a stroke. And this week, a friend 52's husband had a stroke. 
The next comment, a family member at our gym had seizures at work, found a brain tumor. Second one grew so quick before uh, they could even operate on the first. His funeral was two weeks ago, 39, no previous health issues, only found of cancer 10 months ago. Yes, he was jabbed. Yep. And the reason that cancer ravaged him like that and killed him so quickly is because of the whole TLR, I think it's the 7, 8, and 9 receptors. Those are sensors, little sniffers that go around and look for cancerous cells. Well, the pseudouridine, the spike protein getting into the nucleus and everywhere else, disrupts those sensors, downregulates them, shuts them off. So when you get cancer, it's free to just ravage your body because your defenses are off, essentially. Here's a woman, her legs keep bruising up. Of course, I didn't capture it, but same thing in the comments here. Again and again and again, time after time, there's people saying, yep, same thing's happening to me. That's I have that, a friend that that's happening to. This is because they have destroyed their immune system. Very unusual rise in cases of severe liver damage seen in children across the UK, the US, and Europe. Why are children in these three highly vaccinated regions all of a sudden getting liver damage? What could be the common factor, the commonality? Who knows? Can't be the vaccine because that's 100% safe and effective. I've given it to so many of these kids. Of course, the CDC came out and issued a warning about this. I think they know they're not getting away with it, and they're trying to, you know, do the right thing in the last minute. That's what it seems like to me. Here was uh, three U.S. Navy sailors found dead in their bunks this week. Now, possibly they were doing fentanyl or something like that. Also possible they were vaxxed. Because that's what the DMED data shows. Here's someone that uh, I'll show you two picks. This is Bo Trainer on uh, Twitter. First pick before AstraZeneca. Second pick four weeks later. AstraZeneca advised, uh, do not take another vax as obvious adverse reaction. My eyesight was damaged. 37 documented adverse reactions. AstraZeneca removed all emails. And you can see between these two pictures, she looks like an old lady in the one on the right, a youthful, I don't know, late 30s, early 40s, and the one on the left. And she looks like 60 plus. And of course, my friend Erin, she says, I was telling a friend, that was me, I think, that some of the vaccinated clients look like they have aged 10 years in two months. And she's also, she does hair and sees them uh, losing their hair and thinning out. And she's had people sit there, you know, waiting on stuff, trying to read, and they're they're doing the twitch thing because they have neurological damage. She's had somebody that had to leave in the middle of a of a hair dye because they were getting physically ill. I went and sat down with my buddy in Tyler uh, that runs the restaurant, and I kind of asked him about things that are going on. You know, what what is he seeing in the job and in the industry? Are you having food shortages? Like, no, we're getting all the ingredients we need. Still problems with supplies and so forth. Most of the employees are okay, that sort of thing. 
he did say that he had some old ladies that would come in like clockwork every you know Wednesday at this time, and they just stopped coming and have never been back. And it's like it was for years that they were coming there. So he thinks something may have happened. And he's got several like that that were regulars and then just disappeared. They, they knew him by name and everything friendly, and they're gone. It's happening, folks. It's happening. Um, let me see. I don't know exactly where I want to go next here. Yeah, okay, let's go back here. So these troponin levels can be... Now, we did the show, we, we broke down walk, Watch the Water, which I think was um, had a lot of problems with it. And some of the assumptions and things were re- just really problematic. I don't think it was a great theory. It should have been peer-reviewed. Well, now Stu Peters is back again with uh, Steve Kirsch, And they're talking about this pilot that we just watched. I want you to listen to this. Elevated and people won't know that their heart is being damaged. So troponin is is an indicator of of heart damage. It's kind of like the, your heart gets damaged, it elevates uh, troponin. So after a heart attack, your troponin levels go up, but only by a, a relatively small amount compared to what the vaccines do. And then it drops quickly down to zero. In the vaccine case, it goes up to very high levels and stays elevated and can stay elevated for months, which means it's kind of the... the Means that the spike protein is being continually produced. In fact, every time they check for it, they've still found it in the body. We don't know how long it gets produced for. The fact that it's being reverse transcribed means that it's likely a permanent new feature that your body's pumping out a neurotoxin and slowly poisoning you from the inside for the rest of whatever you have left of your life depending on how well you manage that new condition and mitigate that damage. That's, that's why it's, you're seeing these elevated tryptonin levels that are above what you would see for a heart attack. Uh, the vaccine is kind of chipping away at, at your heart. And then, you know, this leads to an event that this can, can lead to an event that. No, it's continually hitting it with spike proteins, which are causing necrosis, cell death, tissue death, turns it into scar tissue, and you lose that capacity of your heart every time that happens. Or the mRNA transfects the cell, and the cell expresses a spike protein, and then one of your killer T cells comes in and kills the cell because it's expressing a virus, and you lose that function of your heart, that little bit of capacity happening billions of times, And that's the new normal for you. And that process continues and continues and continues. Happens um, further down. And it can yeah. happen and within it did days lead to after your shot. It, and the, the event just happened to be six minutes after these 200 souls were on the ground on that Airbus American Airlines flight. Yes. Josh Yoder correct, made a really but, good point when he was here on Monday saying if that had happened seven minutes prior to when it did, he would have been on final. There's no way that anybody in the cockpit would have been able to recover that aircraft. You'd have 200 people dead because of these unconstitutional communist-like overreaching mass murder mandates um yes. well you know we yeah we can never say for sure that now <laughs> so there's Stu peters trying to make it as dramatic and oh they're trying to yeah there would be uh hundred 
trying to whip people up into a frenzy, and Steve's trying to reel them back in a little bit here. There's the people that died. But we can say for sure that once you're under 1,000 feet and an event like that occurs where the pilot is, is, is landing the plane and then suddenly slumps over the, uh, the control lever like that, that may be yep. an irrecoverable um, you know, we just don't know because we Very don't have the, and, the and history of this. But it's yeah, yeah. I mean, Josh Yoder's a pilot. Admit. I trust him, and he was saying that there's just no way that the pilot would have been able to recover the aircraft at that time or anybody else. Correct. They're seconds away from hitting the ground, and when a plane goes from you know 100 or 200 miles an hour to zero because it's slamming into the ground, it's safe to speculate that people would be dead, potentially yes, everybody it, on board. So their theory is. Somebody would have a heart attack in the final approach as you're coming in close to the ground, and then they would slump over, push the yoke down, and crash the plane right into the ground. Only there's one slight problem with that, and that is that the seat belts that the pilots sit on are five-point harnesses, so they can't slump over. And what happens? People kind of lose like the ability to control themselves when they're having a heart attack. We've watched it on video, right? What do they do? They kind of space out. What could the co-pilot do? See that and pull back. But the idea that the pilot's going to slump over and, and nosedive the plane is absurd. Is just absurd. And these guys are going around pushing this kind of fear porn for ratings and views and clicks and everything else. And just a little critical thinking would go a long ways here, guys. Just a little. Hello, my name is Hannah, and I'm one of the wildlife health technicians at your Toronto Zoo. We have received our COVID-19 vaccines for animals developed and donated by Zoetis. We have oh, this sounds wonderful, doesn't it? They're getting to the animals now. We started vaccinating some of our most susceptible animals. The vaccine is given in two doses, about two to three weeks apart. I think one of the main questions you might be curious about is how do we vaccinate some of these animals we might not Yeah, how do you do that? Lions and tigers and bears and all. ...get close to, like lions and tigers. The thing to keep in mind is that our animals are trained to participate voluntarily in their own health care. Oh, oh. There, you hear that, folks. They're doing informed consent. It's all voluntary. They don't have to do it if they don't want to. We're going to train them like Pavlov's dog to come in and get the treat and take the stick. And, well, if they come in to get the treat, it means they've been fully informed and they want the shot. The COVID-19 vaccine for animals may be new, but receiving vaccinations from our vet tech team is a process many of our animals are already familiar and comfortable with. The wildlife care team devotes a lot of time and care to training the animals to voluntarily present an area of the body, such as voluntarily present the area as an arm, a tail, or a hip for a pretend poke and as a reward, they receive their favorite treat. One of the most important aspects in this process is, is that the animal can walk away at any time. Oh, it see? is completely up to them whether they want to participate or not. Some They're fully informed and obviously giving their consent, just like they did with you. Because this is what they think of the subjects. They think of you as livestock, as their pets, 
as their slaves to control and manipulate as they see fit while they have created this society and built it up around you to extract ever-increasing amounts of your wealth as it grows ever more corrupt and creates an ever-growing divide between the rich and the poor. That's what governments do. This is how they think of you. This is really not far off from the informed consent that was given to the humans. Some days are more successful than other days, and that's okay. By well, they'll just try again. Giving the animals the option to participate in their own health care, it allows us to monitor their health more closely and efficiently without causing any undue stress or disruption to their regular routine. It's not specific to vaccines either. Some animals may require additional healthcare maintenance like hoof trimming. Others may be aging, for example, and require routine x-rays to monitor a condition. It takes a lot of time and dedication, but putting the effort and care into establishing trust they with the care. animals the keepers work with every day goes such a long way to helping us help them stay nice and healthy. Sounds Administering so the vaccine is a lengthy process since we have about 120 animals to vaccinate. As mentioned, animals that have been trained for injections have the choice not to participate, which means we try again another day. Once they have received the vaccine, our wildlife... So that's optional, you know, just like the, the police, I'm going to have to ask you to leave the premises. Are they really asking? No, that's just good PR that they put on the front of it, hoping that you'll comply before they have to show their true character. And yet, despite the fact that we've now essentially clinically tested the vaccine yep. on billions of people worldwide. Medical trials, experimental medical trials for everyone. Let's hope it works out. Around one in five Americans is still willing to put themselves at risk and put their families at risk. Yeah. Rather than get vaccinated. Oh. Because that's, I mean, that's what the data's showing, right, Barack? That the unvaccinated are doing so poorly in, with COVID and the people who have been vaccinated, man, they're, they're not even getting it. I mean, if they do get it, they kick it right away. That's what we're seeing, isn't it? People are dying because yes, of misinformation. They are. Yes, they are. From their misinformation. And that's what ties into this Hillary Clinton tweet back here. This is why they're so scared of social media. This also gets into what's going on with Twitter. If you think it's just a social media platform that hasn't been infiltrated by the intelligence agencies, you're not paying attention. If you watch the last show, you kind of have an idea of like what Cliff High does with all of this language data. What do you think an intelligence agency with a real-time feed of all the tweets could do with something like that to predict the near term, just like Cliff does? But with 100 coders and a billion dollars in resources. 
I bet they could create something pretty kick-ass that would give them quite the edge. Do you think maybe they're doing something like that? To manipulate the masses? To control elections? To censor? And to propagate acceptable thought? Guarantee you they are. There are some big things happening in the world today. Okay. Jinky the Mouse, or Jicky the Mouse, I guess I should say, uh, he's coming out calling for a criminal investigation of the New England Journal of Medicine. The latest study from the disgraced NEJM obliterates the boosters prevent death dogma, but they continue to lie, putting people at risk. So he's showing some data here. And uh, from, from their latest study, it's vaccine effectiveness of a fourth dose as compared with three doses, right? And he's blacked out this section showing the fourth dose, right? You see, in order for the NEJM to keep publishing the next dose is better fraud, they have to make the previous dose look bad. I've hidden the fourth dose figures in this table for a specific purpose. For that, uh, in fact, I have redacted it just like the FDA and TGA. That's the Australian kind of safety commission. Uh, just like the FDA and the TGA do. The reason for the redaction is to focus on the control group figures, which are the outcomes of patients who've had three doses of the two-dose vaccine schedule. Remember, the only license applied for by the manufacturer was for the two-dose schedule. Remember when they were going to get a new uh, vaccine out for Omicron or for some of the new variants, right? And how they bragged about, well, I mean, we did this thing in, in seven days or just so many hours, and had this vaccine into production because it's, it's a new process and we can turn these out very quickly, but yet somehow they've never been able to get an updated vaccine out and they just keep pushing that same old shot that was designed for a spike that's not even circulating. Do you think that could have anything to do with the fact that they can't get another EUA, that they can't justify it, that it would expend too much political capital to pull that off? The reason for the redaction is to focus on the control group figures, which are the outcomes of patients who've had three doses of the two-dose vaccine schedule. Remember, the only license applied for by the manufacturer was the two-dose schedule. Just for the record, here was the disgraced NEJM who were part of the uh, Lance, Lancet Gate fraud. Uh, that was, oh, I, I, I'm, I'll remember it in a minute, but that was another another big thing where these scientists got together and just perpetuated a lie in March saying how good the three dose schedule was last month. We've got this corresponds to relative vaccine efficacy of 95.3%. And they're talking about their trial here. And here's the, I think the application they're saying active immunization critical mitigation tool against severe acute respiratory SARS-CoV-2 infection during the coronavirus in 2019. Six months after the primary two-dose series data needed on the safety and efficacy. So they've published this data, right? In this group, three-dose boosted days 14 through 30, 
30 people died out of 5,343 with the infection. That's a mortality rate of 0.6%. What's the mortality rate in the unvaccinated? Well, let's see the U.S. Uh, HSA report before they stopped publishing it, right? Because, you know, they didn't want the anti-vaxxers using this data to prove their points. They were concerned that about it's because it would be misinformation, right? So they just stopped publishing it. There were two... Uh, 212,000 cases in the unvaccinated group. There were 202 deaths in the unvaccinated group. That's 0.1%. What would you expect in the era of Omicron? Even less, right? So 0.6% in the vaccinated group versus 0.1% in the unvaccinated group. So the COVID-19 case vitality rate in one of the best healthcare systems in the world, this is the UK, for people who have received a booster dose that we were told would stop you from dying of COVID is six times higher than those people that didn't take the treatment. You have a 6x increased risk of dying from COVID if you're vaccinated in the UK. But I'll leave the last word to the NEJM, whose chief editor published a fraudulent uh, Surgisphere paper. Now that was one it was about the Sturgis uh, motorcycle rally where they said that's going to be a super spreader event. And then they came out and said it's so many thousands more cases because of it. And it turns out that was all based on bullshit. The hospitals, the local hospitals in, in Sturgis were not overloaded. There was not this explosion in cases. They went into their data modelers who have always been wrong with highly inflated figures throughout this entire scam. And they got them to come up with a number that they could quote. It was basically, you just need to read it properly to understand, isn't it time for public investigations and indictments? And it says, conclusions. The fourth dose of the BNT, uh, the Pfizer vaccine, was effective in reducing the short-term risk of COVID-19 related outcomes among persons who had received a third dose at least four months earlier. Right? So, Oh, while they're in that window and then they get another shot, then they see a benefit, right? And of course, what are they doing? Remember the whole, he, he tweeted up here where he's talking about day uh, 14. So you get boosted and then for 14 days after getting the treatment, where, when you're most likely to have an adverse reaction, I think that's 60 to 80% of them. That's when they occur in that 14-day window. You get counted in the unvaccinated group, right? Remember that? Which means, if you go back to the uh, Elgato Mallow Substack article that we read on the show a while back, that the worse the vaccine performs because of the way they're counting it, the better it's going to show an efficacy. So people get hurt, but they, that, they get lumped into the unvaccinated group, which makes the injuries larger even though they were injured by the vaccine, they're going to say, oh, no, well, I mean, it didn't have time to work, so therefore you shouldn't be counted as boosted. You should be counted as double vaccinated. So that has the effect of further skewing the results. And the fact is, the more harmful the vaccine, when you're recording it this way, with this kind of fraudulent metric, it means it's going to make it look better. 
And that's what they're doing. Uh-oh. Hold on. I think I might have messed. I might have hosed uh, Twitter spaces accidentally. I'm just trying to sort this out. Oh, no, no. I'm in there. Okay. Eee. Okay, we're good. Uh, all right. What else? Well, here he is again, or this is another Jicky Links fan page. We need a tribunal. Informed consent protocols were broken. Pharma is protected illegally. No refunds right now. WHO treaty threatens this as the new normal. P.S. Everybody with a mortgage will lose their homes. It's we're talking about this WHO power grab, another part of this. And they're trying to bring in this whole global reset by usurping rights, by skirting the uh, existing governments. And this is somebody saying uh, day 130 of being sick from the generally mild COVID vaccine side effects, generally mild in quotes. I think he's being facetious. People on one side say I'm a liar. People on the other say, side say I deserve this. In the middle are the many injured wishing we had our lives back. And I think that's a great point, right? He's saying nobody he finishes, concludes by saying nobody seems interested in finding out what went wrong. And not only do we need to find out what went wrong, but we need to understand what we can do to treat these people, to help them manage this condition that they've given themselves or been coerced into accepting as is sadly the case for so many and this attacking these people for being injured this is ridiculous but that goes back to you know mr mask here wanting to be right about what he's done And I'm sure there's just loads more people saying the same thing. Okay, well, let me go back here. I think there's another. Nope. All right. There you go. So that was that was it. Now, the whole point of that is to get you guys to kind of bring you up to speed on what's happening. Things are accelerating. It's going to continue to accelerate until I think we start seeing some major supply chain shocks, some major uh, service disruptions. You know, you might call 911 and, and they don't come that day. I think that's the kind of world that we're going to be increasingly heading into. And there's going to be this great reorganization of society as the money's hyperinflating. And the government's trying to ramp out their CBDC that they can take control. And, of course, right here is Blockchain Backer. <laughs> so he's a XRP YouTuber. He used to listen to me back in the day before he started his YouTube channel. And now he's like a rock star TA guy. And of course, I watched him kind of early on. I told my audience, go watch this guy because he's incredibly technically competent. And at the same time, he's very good at explaining things. Like I tried to watch several TA people teach me TA and nobody could really do it. I love the way he communicates stuff. He has a course and everything that he does as well. He was in Dallas for a... Um, 
uh, investor conference for somebody he's looking at doing a sponsorship with. And uh, I, we ended up meeting for lunch That's where I got all this sun a little bit. We sat out there for two hours gaming scenarios of how all this might unfold. And it was uh, an interesting conversation. Um, we both see some, you know, like a big run up. He's kind of like, you know, here we are, but there's no 2017 bull run. What's going on? I'm like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I see that. I think, uh, you know, I tried to explain it as look at all these big changes happening in the world. I think that those are sort of coming in and um, changing the environment in a way that TA doesn't predict. And he's told me that he sees Bitcoin below 2000. And he says that on his show. And I hadn't, I haven't listened to his show in a while. Um, and I'm like, no way. Are you serious? He said, it's, it's what the chart show, Sam. It's what the chart show. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and, and then I told him about uh, Woo Woo Dude and uh, Jason at Four. They had a, a Joe did a, a video recently where he's talking about it. I've got a clip from it we're going to play. Where what they see is kind of this big run up. And Joe thinks it's going to go to 420 and then crash back down to like 20 cents. And we're like, and, and that sort of jives with what he's seen a Bitcoin at $2,000. And uh, I, I said, you know, I think uh, what Joe's guy or woo-woo dude said that he sees Ethereum at 340 or 360, something like that. And he's, and Backer said, yep, I see that too, Sam. And so then we started discussing, well, what about Tether? What impact would Tether have if it collapses, right? Because it's not just the fact that Tether's not backed and run by a criminal, uh, international criminal enterprise, it's that the exchanges, there's a lot of exchanges out there that are tether exchanges, and what are you going to do? How are they going to process trades when tether's not a dollar, it's 60 cents, and then 20 minutes later, it's 40 cents, and 10 minutes after that, it's 8 cents, and what's going to happen? And, and kind of his suggestion was that we could see a huge run-up in that kind of environment because people are heading for the lifeboats, right? To like, and that's going to be crypto. They're not going to be able to sit in tether and wait for uh, ACH to process seven days later and hope it all works out fine. Right. And of course the people, there's always got to be somebody on the other side of the trade. So if you're, if you're buying Bitcoin and you're giving up tether, somebody's buying that hoping that, you know, next week, two weeks, a month later, it's all going to blow over and this will go back to a dollar and they will have the ultimate OG bragging rights of telling people that they got rich and became a millionaire buying and holding tether. And we both had a good laugh about that. Um, so then there's also, you know, the lawsuit aspect that Ripple has going on with the SEC and the implications of that. Um, it's coming out that oh yeah, there's major corruption, ethics violations, all kinds of things coming to light in these various emails and so forth. Eventually, Ripple's going to win that case. It's going to go away. And uh, is that the spike before we collapse? And, uh, you know, there's also the stock market. If the market crashes, that's going to bring down crypto with it. And I think he agreed with that as well. Um, but how does it all 
play out was kind of the question that he had. And one of the interesting things that he brought up to me is that these big companies that are, you know, involved in this whole thing know that this is coming just like he does. And um, they're offloading, unloading their positions, dumping their bags now into all of this retail hype. And that was interesting to me because, like, that was something I hadn't really considered. Uh, and uh, I might reach out and see if he wants to jump on to talk about it. But I did come across this uh, article we're going to read about Michael Saylor, right? If you think about who he is, he is, it's this guy. There's only one useful thing that any of us can do every day when we get up. <laughs> One thing that matters above all. What's that? That one thing is convince someone to convert some other form of property into Bitcoin. Oh, okay. Now, he owns Bitcoin, which would increase the value of his Bitcoin holdings. But that's the number one thing you can do to help yourself, not to help him, right? Because that's not what he's about. Michael Saylor is a selfless man, as we're going to learn when we read a little bit about him from an article that Crypto Whale wrote. If I told you I know how it all ends, right? Once you know how it all ends, that mm -hmm. the, the only use of time is, how do I buy more Bitcoin? <laughs> oh. But take all your money, buy Bitcoin, then take all your time. Fix and I think this was when it was like at 58,000 at one of the tops figure out how to borrow more money to buy more Bitcoin, then take all your time and figure out what you can sell to buy Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And if you absolutely love the thing that you're that you don't want to sell it, go mortgage your house and buy Bitcoin with it. And if you've got oh. a business that you love because your family works for the business that's in your family for 37 years and you can't bear to sell it, mortgage it, finance it and convert the proceeds into the hardest money on earth, which is Bitcoin. So what I would say is, Use all your time to acquire Bitcoin, finance mm -hmm. entities and weaker currencies to buy Bitcoin, or educate yourself on why this makes sense if you're not sure. And then educate everybody around you. You know, if you're. So buy as much Bitcoin as you can, pump his bags, and then go and convince other people to buy more Bitcoin to pump his bags working for a company that's got a hundred million dollars in the treasury, you ought to convince the CEO and the board of directors to convert. If, if I told ah, you, I know how I it, it all ends, right? Once you know how it all ends, that, that the only use of time, that's the most creative thing you can do. That'd be worth billions to them. It's like to get millions more dollars pumped into Bitcoin to pump his bags. Right. Of course, he is going to hold this Bitcoin forever. Let's finish what he's got to say here. Like, if you were to say to me, Mike, it's the year 2000, you're in Argentina. What's the best use of your time? The best use of my time is figure out how to get all of my money converted into dollars and get it out of Argentina <clears throat> because I'm going to lose 99.5% of the money if I don't. Nothing else matters. Mm hmm. Okay. Well, let's take a look at this right here. For the next hundred, I watch these crypto Twitter guys and they look at what we just did and they're like, oh, what happens when they dump it? 
like they bought all this Bitcoin, that's bearish. They might sell it and that'll be bad for the market. Or when is he going to sell? If it goes down by 5%, is he going to like lose interest? And I think they don't get it. Mm -hmm. I bought it for the next hundred years. And in a hundred years, I expect that maybe we might borrow a little bit of money against it to buy something else we might want. I didn't buy it to sell it ever. I watch these crypto Twitter guys. So he's never going to sell, right? That sounds awesome. Except, uh, well, <laughs> turns out it looks like he's sold $315 million in Bitcoin. And he's done it secretly, right? Because he doesn't want you to know. This is from CryptoWell. CryptoWell, I follow. He used to follow my old Twitter account before it got nuked. Um that was crypto focused and uh, he and I see very much eye to eye with a lot of this stuff. And as well as Bitfinex, they all kind of understand what's happening here. And this was very eye opening. There were some things I did not know about Michael Saylor here. Contrary to popular belief, Michael Saylor has a shady past and has been keeping important things from the public, including how he has been secretly dumping thousands of Bitcoin from his company for months, while at the same time saying others to take out double mortgages and go all in. You know, we just played those clips, right? Of course, he's he's not new to this game, right? He was around in the dot-com bubble, and in fact, I ended up stumbling across a 20-year-old archived article called The Bitcoin Dollar or The Billion Dollar Losers Club. Thank your uh, stock losses were huge. Imagine being one of these guys. It was written by Fortune Magazine. And well, by using Thompson Financial and Bloomberg data, they came up with a list of uh, who got hit the hardest during the tech bubble. Ranked at the first place was none other than Michael Saylor, who lost $13.53 billion, which was the largest and fastest financial loss ever at the time. (laughs) His investment failures came from years of negligent accounting practices, fraud, and overall terrible leadership. It's clear his company's valuation is solely based on his ability to attract hype by engaging in popular trends by Bitcoin, which we saw with their eagerness to be at the center of the dot-com bubble and now with the Bitcoin bubble. Michael Saylor's entire company was built on deception. The Dot-com hype helped carry his stock from $30 to over $3,000 in just a few years. But all that reversed a 99.9% crash when the company was forced to restate its accounting data, which had all the profits they had ever claimed to have made erased. On December 14th of 2000, the SEC opened an investigation into Saylor and accused him of being a fraud. There was a $350,000 penalty and $8.3 million paid to shareholders as part of that settlement. The SEC also revealed that uh, instead of making profits, as Saylor had claimed, they were actually losing money. MicroStrategy was basically being fueled by new investors, which, only, which then only acquired through the excessive hype, delusions, and speculations of a dot-com bubble uh, participants. Sounds a lot like a Ponzi scheme. Michael Saylor doesn't actually like Bitcoin. And uh, CryptoWell is saying here, for months I've said that Saylor is playing the Bitcoin community like a fiddle, and I have been proven right yet again. Here's an old tweet from him. 
saying Bitcoin's days are numbered. This is when Bitcoin was $381. Bitcoin's days are numbered. It seems like just a matter of time before it suffers the same fate as online gambling. Here it is when it was $256. Bitcoin truly has no intrinsic value. It's just a worthless asset for gamblers to speculate. <laughs> if you go to his page now, he has hundreds of tweets comparing it uh, to random things like digital energy, digital real estate, or digital hot dogs, or basically anything that sounds mysterious and will catch on with the cult. His goal has always been to use Bitcoin's hype to attract investors into buying Bitcoin and his company's stock, another component of this, which will then let himself and his insiders sell at extremely overvalued prices and get rich. Saylor is smart. He wanted to prove his confidence in Bitcoin early on, so he has his no plans to sell Bitcoin for the next hundred years tagline that he talks about. So instead of going through the path of transparency, he sets up a mysterious and seemingly pointless LLC, but it's actually not so pointless. With an LLC, it has one key benefit that Michael Saylor really wants. He's not legally required to file his Bitcoin sales with the SEC since it's a private subsidiary. So here he is, uh, you know, at the one of the tops, market tops for Bitcoin, where he's telling everyone to buy Bitcoin, talking about El Salvador and pumping that, and then they just sell massively into that news, right? And here's his tweet right near the top. On September 7th, El Salvador will officially begin using Bitcoin as its national currency alongside the U.S. dollar. Every uh, cyber... Horrified, I can't read what that says. It looks like a some some symbol. I know is planning to buy thirty dollars in BTC tomorrow in solidarity with people of El Salvador and their leader. Will you join us? And it's a poll. <laughs> it's creating buying pressure as MicroStrategies is ready to step in and dump on all these suckers. Back in September 2021, I warned investors that Michael Saylor was secretly dumping his shares. This week, it was confirmed to be true. Here's a tweet from Mr. Whale. Saylor urged everyone to buy BTC today at 51K. He also moved all of MicroStrategy's BTC to a shady LLC. This was back in September of 2021. When And I, I, we, I think we covered this tweet in a show. He set up these LLCs, moved his Bitcoin there so it wouldn't be... Uh, under SEC scrutiny, which means he can now sell without filing the, with the SEC. My guess is that Saylor is dumping his BTC holdings on those he's actively trying to lure in. Well, guess what? It's exactly what he was doing. There's the charts that show it, and I think I've, I've tweeted about this. I don't know that I've talked about it yet, but Michael Saylor has secretly dumped $63 million worth of Bitcoin while announcing they were purchasing so in essence, they announce every time they buy, but refuse to say when they sell since the funds were transferred to a private LLC. This is technically illegal, technically legal, although very unethical because he's subverting the regulations, the attempt at transparency while lying and misleading the public, just like another cryptocurrency executive that I know. And he's, they're going to benefit personally and cash out on your back. So far, MicroStrategy has dumped over 8,000 plus Bitcoin. He expects them to dump more in the coming months. 
At the same time, MicroStrategy's largest executives have been secretly dumping millions of dollars worth of shares. The CFO, $55 million. The CTO, $45 million. The uh, director, $34 million. Uh, The GC, I don't know what that one is, uh, $17.5 million. And, and then these last three are directors, 12 million, four and a half million, 3.6 million. And this uh, SVP is at 1.7 million. So they're all cashing in big time, selling their stock right now over the last year. And if you look, nearly 65% of all reported executive sales occurred in the last year. That's what this chart's showing with all of these uh, bubbles right here, there's going back that way is the previous sales. You can see it's all pretty low and then boom, jumps way up in this last year. While they're going around telling everybody, we're buying Bitcoin and we're holding it for a hundred years as they dump surreptitiously through an LLC and the stock, uh, the executives are offloading their stock onto the suckers. This is exactly what blockchain backer was kind of and suspected was happening and it kind of opened my eyes to it as well right michael saylor is a wolf in sheep's clothing over the years his constant sketchy behavior and fraudulent practices have painted a completely different persona than what he claims to be the same guy who was just yelling at a group of people at the 2020 to miami bitcoin conference to never sell has been dumping hundreds of millions of dollars worth of bitcoin Oh, the irony. Yeah. So, excellent article uh, from, this is on medium.com. This is uh, Crypto Whale, and he's Crypto Whale on Twitter as well. So, that's what's happening behind the scenes with Bitcoin. And, uh, you know, how does it all play out? And going back to, Oh, all the way back here with Backer and my discussion that we had over lunch. I, I don't know. There's a lot of different possibilities, but I think kind of what, what I expect to see is this sharp run up and some major economic breakdown collapse. Uh, I think we're going to see more gas inflation. That's not done. GC general counsel. Yeah, that's probably what that was. Thank you. I was thinking like general contractor, but that didn't make sense. So, okay. Uh, and at the same time, who wants a real kick in the pants? Not only is there a fertilizer shortage, there's a DEF shortage too. Farmers need DEF for their tractors, you know, because of the EPA environmental regulations. If they don't get it, they won't, it won't make a difference if they have fertilizer or not. So if you don't know, the train companies are delaying shipments of fertilizer in the spring when it's needed. There's all these food processing plants. I think it's 12 in the last six months that have caught fire, either uh, like big distribution centers or food processing plants that have burned down. It takes months and months and months to bring those back online, right? We just bought, my brother just bought two houses that were burned out in the inside. And those are going to be gutted and rebuilt. And like the, the owner that owned both of them sold them because you know, they can move on with their life. And we get to deal with it for three to six months to rebuild and get it, get it ready and back on the market. These are like complicated industrial processing plants. That might be years before that gets repaired. 
these warehouses, they can throw them up. But again, 12 months probably to rebuild. So that capacity is not coming back. You've got China engaged in these lockdowns. There's a tweet here somewhere. I'll see if I can find it briefly. Bear with me for one second here. It was, it's this one right here. So those of you that can't see, there's a bunch of people locked in a building with these steel gates. It's their home. They're shaking it. Let us out. Let us out. And there's the COVID police in their full gear there, standing there watching them. And I love this comment. Probably bullish for supply chain. Yeah, no, it's not. (laughs) It's all coming together for some major, very real food shortages that I've been talking to you guys about for months and months. That's going to be part of this too. All right. You need food. You need water. You need supplies. You need knowledge to survive in that environment. You need crypto. You need silver. And you need cash to make it through this. And understand it's going to be hard for a few years. And this is kind of some of the knowledge I was imparting on him because he hasn't been diving into the whole COVID thing and doesn't understand this. And he's got a friend with um, a rash that won't go away. And I've researched that today. And it turns out that's an indication of um, T-cell lymphoma, I think. That's what a lot of those patients, people that are experiencing these the rash vaccine side effect are testing positive for. So, yeah, it's not... It's not looking real good for everyone. The same time, foreign demand for U.S. Treasuries collapses just as the Fed launches quantitative tightening, QT, which is where they start uh, selling their bonds, uh, their, their debt, back into the market, right? With just days left until the Fed begins winding down its gargantuan $9 trillion balance sheet and as rates reset higher globally amid a growing panic that the Fed is so far behind the curve, yields will soar much higher than before inflation, much higher before inflation is contained. A problem emerges. Investors have been increasingly focused on the risk of supply and demand imbalances in treasuries. Like, you know, if you can't just sell treasuries, you got to have people willing to buy them. And they're starting to freak out that there will simply not be enough foreign demand for U.S. paper. It turns out they are right to be worried. A Goldman, uh, Goldman's, I don't know, analyst or something writes, quote, the combination of material reduction and negative yield yielding debt, the diminishment, sorry, the diminished economic appeal of U.S. treasuries versus domestic alternatives and de-dollarization efforts by officials should see foreign demand wane in coming quarters. That's the blowback of all of these um, uh, tariffs and so forth on foreign goods and, and um, bans of Russian and so forth is okay. They're just like, screw you. We're going to build our own system. Right. And that was another thing that I kind of shared with blockchain backer was, um, you know, ripple has created RippleNet, the software that plugs into the XRPL and uses it to facilitate payments and transfers and transactions and so forth. Why couldn't Bricks create BricksNet and plug that into the XRPL as well and do exactly the same thing? They could, right? 
And will they? How many different types of ripple nets will there be is a, is a question that I've got. I think we'll probably see a few before we're said and done here. Very possibly on the table and would have some pretty profound implications for XRP, for the XRPL, and so forth. But this is the world we're heading into. It's all crashing. We're heading for chaos, disruption. That's why you need silver, cash, and um, crypto. Because in that kind of environment, the person who can be the most flexible will have the most options, right? <sighs> Someone's saying, DLive cool, went all in at 22 cents long ago. Thanks. Yeah. I think I got some at 14 cents. Okay, let me go back to here. And let's look at, I got a little clip here from Snippy. And woo-woo dude, I want to play this for you. Could you give me a vision about next time, please? And I never do that. I just wait for them to give me whatever they want. So this is his psychic guy that has kind of like talks to the dead people. Kind of, he, he gets uh, impressions and thoughts and like visions and stuff. And he asked his guides, what about XRP? And, you know, the, he's got a track record. He's been doing this with Joe for a while. Joe does some very similar things, has a track record, has a Patreon group that loves him because he's made him some money, calling the tops and bottoms pretty damn close from his dreams and his guides and so forth. So I, I think they were actually doing a live stream earlier tonight that I haven't seen yet, but this was a couple days ago, and I want you to listen to this little snippet here. But I just want to see. So this is what they showed me. They brought me to this big bridge, and I'm looking at the bridge, and there's all types of people walking to and fro on this bridge. Okay? Many different colors, people from all over the world, different sizes, shapes, and, and I know that that meant a lot. And then I looked at the bridge, and it was big, okay? So it would be something that cars would be going on, but they're not. People are going back and forth. <clears throat> then I know Individuals, like individual users, not big corporations doing bulk processes, but peer-to-peer. -peer. Notice that this bridge was connected from one continent to another continent. I went, son of a gun, I know what that is. And Global bridge currency that the XRP YouTubers have been talking about for five plus years, maybe? Because I asked for something about XRP. So this is the discernment that I'm getting on what I saw. And maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. That <clears throat> XRP is going to be used, you know, from one continent to the other. Not just what we would say before, um, moving per se dollar bills or money. The way I got it is I really believe what they were showing me was it's got to be used for many different things. And I think yes. even cryptos. Yes. And do you know how... Um, so what he's describing are all the various use cases. I mean, sure, there's cross-border payment. But there's security settlements, there's investment contracts, there's all the smart contracts that are coming out with Flare and so forth. 
there's uh, trade finance, there's all manner of different things. There's issuances on the XRPL that will basically be fundraising for companies kind of thing. It's a, it's a perfect use case for uh, an issuance. So that's where it's heading. And, you know, I, I let him know as well, or, well, let's keep going here. The crypto um, Ethereum that they charge to move cryptos, right? Yeah, yeah. And they charge a bigger lot. I believe that XRP is going to be used for that also. Now, I Meaning you sell Ethereum, you buy XRP, you move the XRP, and then you buy back into the Ethereum if you need it. It's kind of what he as a way to avoid fees. And it's already being used for that today. It's one of the cryptos that people will buy to move because it's fast and efficient, right? You can push a transaction across in a matter of a few seconds and be on the other exchange, importing it or depositing it in the wallet and trading it back in cheaper than you can buy the Ethereum, move it over to the other exchange and faster, right? Let's throw this out there. Now, again, this is just a, this is just what they showed me. All right, so this is not financials. Well, I define this thing for the financial guy, okay? Uh, that they said in the future, watch and pay attention to Ethereum. And I go, well, why? He said, because they're going to find out who they are. And what I was getting, and I thought that this was interesting, they, they said that you will find out that that is a true banker's coin. I went, what? Ethereum? Yeah. And I go, how was that? They said, they're, they told me they're hiding the people that have big investments in them. They're hiding who they are. But you're going to find out they're connected to banks. Mm. Exactly. And um, Ethereum really is the banker's coin. I've made that, I've pointed that out to you guys. The reason that Bitcoin and Ethereum were given the free pass by the SEC is because they require a layer two to function. Those are choke points where they can control and manipulate things and charge high fees and, uh, you know, monetize that, that new system and keep it in their hands, right? Not let it go to the people. Whereas with XRP, it's got enough uh, capacity and throughput and the potential to scale that you're not going to need that. You can have these people, individuals, not cars, remember, walking back and forth across this bridge. I think that's the kind of thing that he's describing. And this is also exactly what we're finding out from the lawsuit. We're seeing the connections. Uh, you know, John has been, uh, and some of the other attorneys have been digging through in the XRP community, finding all sorts of old videos and dirt and so forth, and painting the picture of people that knew that Ethereum was going to be given a free pass and that XRP was not, and they were buying one and shorting the other, right, based on this knowledge because they were at this meeting and so on and so forth. So it has been a rigged game against Ripple and XRP for the very reason that the bankers want to use the one that the people think is like, <laughs> it just shows you 
how gullible people are. Like they don't even realize the, the wool's been pulled over their eyes and they think Bitcoin is the people's money and they don't realize a criminal cartel has co-opted it and used it and manipulated it to make themselves billions of dollars. And they're going to be left holding the bags and Michael Saylor's positioning himself to do exactly that. Right. And the executives have already done that. They've already cashed out because they know the crash is coming any day now. And they're trying to charge very, very high fees and control that industry. Exactly. And that a lot of things are going to come out about it in the future. I'd say they already are. Now, I sent um, Woo Woo Dude this guy right here, which is it's an old Marvin Gaye tweet, which talked about sort of the transfer from the West to the East, that you have these dollar systems uh, dying, but fiat is staying, and they're talking about the CBDC. And you've got the gold being the sort of bearer instrument for settlement, but XRP being the bridge to move things around and then when necessary you settle up with gold and there's some more on there but i sent this to him and explained that and there was a comment about they get uh some stuff like this and they love looking at different ideas and so forth this is exactly what he's what he's now describing yet again right and there was another one as well this one right here which was just loaded with information that uh you know has all well, is in the process of happening to varying degrees, depending on how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go and what you're willing to look at. But certainly the uh, Brexit and then going into the national emergency, COVID, you see the little Black Lives Fist mattered right there uh, next to bricks. That happened. We, I don't know. That, I mean, we have and we haven't had the Q stuff. You've got Russia and China buying gold. And that's suggesting that's going to be the bridge. Trump went over into uh, South Korea and sort of brokered relations there. Became the first president to ever do that. So there's just a lot of things that this was published before any of that stuff happened. And it's all sort of fallen into place as predicted. So it's going to get interesting. Uh, he asked me, you know, Backer asked me, could could this fail? I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't think this is a sure thing. They're fighting it. I think they're going to win, but they may not. Right. So we'll either be heroes or zeros, I think. <laughs> but that was pretty much it. And, and we chatted about some other stuff, being a YouTuber or a, a public personality kind of thing and uh, so on and so forth. But it was a fun conversation. I was glad to, to meet him for the first time. Okay, one more thing, and then I'm going to wrap up here and uh, turn it loose to you guys for questions. If you want to jump in on uh, Twitter Spaces, uh, request the mic. And if you have questions, put them in chat over here. Now, in the last show, this is it right here. I had Dimitri Katz on talking about his homeostasis protocol. It was three hours. It was kind of long. Um I like what he's doing. I think his protocol is helping a lot of people. There may not be the clinical studies and things to back it up. He may, he's making some claims, I think, that sort of raise the ire of some of the, of uh, Jicky and some of the other uh, medical doctors and so forth that I interact with on Twitter. One of them blocked me today over this, <laughs> over asking, you know, are, are credentials more important 
than uh, science, right? Because that was the claim. Well, he, he doesn't have a PhD. So I don't know if he does or not. Uh, Dr. Fenn said he has a psychology PhD, not one in, um, as an epidemiologist. And, uh, you know, somebody else is saying that he didn't finish his thesis, so he doesn't technically have a PhD. I don't know what the truth is. I'm going to get to the bottom of it and address it. I'm also going to try and, like, put his, condense his protocol into, like, some short talking points. So those of you that want to... Uh, you know, look at it and try it without watching a three-hour video or whatever. You can do that. Let me pause that. It's going to drive well, me yeah, well, it's like, crazy yeah, yeah. here. Okay. You guys can uh, just watch, you know, a, a video that's a few minutes instead of three hours and get the gist of it. And uh, so I'm also kind of tracking that down with um, with some other folks. So uh, now that we hear uh, from... Dimitri listening to Jason Q will be no problem. I don't know who that is, but okay. All right. And nobody on Twitter spaces. Y'all are quiet. Okay. Well, that's pretty much what I wanted to cover. Um, you know, I think the important thing is to understand like the situation that we're in right now. And that just because these mandates are getting repealed, that that's that shouldn't be the hallmark of success, right? Because the government has set the precedent that they can come in and do these kinds of tyrannical things and get away with it. And that's what they're trying to do. And they can't be allowed to have that power because clearly they can't be trusted with it. They've marched, I don't know how many countless people to their deaths and disabilities. And uh, these people need to be held accountable. This needs to get out there. I think it's only a matter of time before the dam breaks. And it's coming. But uh, it is what it is, and it's going to be one hell of a ride in the meantime. So, folks, get prepared. Uh, You know, if you're holding all crypto, you're doing it wrong. You need cash, you need silver, you need crypto, the right cryptos. I wouldn't hold Bitcoin if I were you. Uh, and you need food and water and a safe place to live and, and sort of ride this storm out. You need to realize uh, the people who are the most flexible will have the easiest time getting through this. So it's going to be uh, an interesting ride here in the next few years. And I think I'm looking forward to what's coming out the other side um but it's going to be a a tough journey in the meantime so there you go i'm sam i am we'll catch you on next broadcast thanks everybody oh you know what you know what? I'll give you all one more little tidbit here. <laughs> so one of the nice things about not recording uh, the conversation or trying to produce content or anything, just chatting with Backer, is I got to uh, kind of clue him in on more details than I share publicly or would even send over email uh, about some of the people that I've interacted with and, and some of the sources and things that I've heard from over the years. And I told him about some of the details of 
what some of the banks are doing that I know about and some of the conversations that people have had and actually name names for them and so forth. And um, his mouth dropped open and I said, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, this thing is big. We're going to have a piece of the global financial system that's going to be liquid anywhere around the world. That's why they want us out. And uh, you don't know what you have. Hold on to it. And uh, yeah, I think he was kind of excited when he heard that. It was it was it was fun to be able to tell him that sort of thing. So there you go. That's it. Good night, everybody. Shock when XRP break out his shell, and that's when we prevail. I'm